Welcome to the CEC report for the 24th of July 2015. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have a special report. Nazis and pedophiles. Our beloved royal family. Now before we get to that topic, first of all I want to mention that we've produced our latest New Citizen newspaper and this is on the subject of our the proceedings of our uh, March 28th to 29th conference which was entitled The World Land Bridge, Peace on Earth, Goodwill Towards All Men and which covered uh, the means of dealing with the war threat globally by nations allying with the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, which are forging forward with grand economic development schemes and of which we map out quite a bit in there and give the background of what's occurring and what Australia itself has to align with. So call in for a copy of that and indeed for bulk copies to distribute to get the word out. Yeah, it, what are the, it's, not, it's less important about the individual nations that we highlight in there, Lisa, but about how working together they're defining a new system um, of international relations mm. based on respect for sovereignty but collaborating around economic development that actually uplifts people, mm. right? Not the kind of, you know, give up sovereignty, impose free trade and just benefit multinationals, City of London, West Wall Street system that we've become used to. So that is something that is in the interest of every country and especially a country like Australia. So we need it distributed right across the country so you definitely get involved. Mm. And now to our special feature, Nazis and pedophiles, our beloved royal family. So most people are probably aware that there was a bit of a scandal um, which came out through the pages of the London Sun newspaper, which is a Murdoch rag over there in the UK, on the 18th of July. And of course they had the image, as you'll see on the screen, of the seven-year-old um, Princess Elizabeth at the time and her mother and sister, this was in 1933, doing the Heil Hitler salute at the urging of the future King Edward VIII. And that uh, footage was taken from, it's, it's a video of course, from 82 years ago, which has been concealed uh, for 82 years. And no one's sure how it got, came no, to, to the light. Because it's from the private royal family archives, so there's obviously question marks there. Um, now, of course, there was a huge eruption of disdain for the way that this was treated, saying across the media globally and particularly in the UK, various apologists saying, look, you can't um, put anything on the Queen for this. She was seven years old. They were just larking around, etc., etc., which really draws away from the seriousness of what they were doing at that point in history, um, particularly being urged on by the elders in that family. Um, but the point is that this actually does reveal something, a real tendency within the royal family, ongoing to this day, but particularly stark and open at the time, uh, of their Nazi sympathies. Can you elaborate a bit on what we do know about that tendency? Yeah, because the, 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 the question of, def of defending the Queen here, what, what, what the apologists have done, they focus on the Queen to say, oh, a seven-year-old wouldn't know anything. Of course, that, that's just a deflection. The issue is what's the about the family. She's part of a family and as the head of the family now, her job is to continue that family and that family is the capstone of the British establishment that in a very undemocratic way controls how the British Empire works. And I say the word British Empire because it's not just the UK, it's our monarchy here as well. That's why we say our beloved royal family, right? They're, they're, these, these, these Germans with an English, with a fake English name in Buckingham Palace are actually the Australia's royal family too, yeah. right? And that it's, this shows something quite 
um, dark in their background, which was real. And, and, and as we'll go through, it's not just in their background. So here's the thing. At the time this was taken, it wasn't just the royal family. There was a big section of the British aristocracy, which back then was still openly powerful. I say that because it's still powerful today. Don't kid yourself. But then it still was allowed to be openly powerful because people still, oh, yes, my lord, yes, my lady. You mm. know, we're, we're, we're lesser than you. We'll do everything you say. A huge section of it was completely pro-Hitler, right? They saw in the Nazi movement a defence against this rising threat, which you'd call democracy. Really, more and more countries were starting to, you know, working class people, especially in the context of the Great Depression, were becoming more and more insistent that, hang on, this system sucks, and um, they wanted changes, right? And there were changes happening all over around the world. Roosevelt had been elected in the United States, right, with his New Deal, and that, uh, all of a sudden you've got an economic system that's going to benefit ordinary people. So they, this, was an, this was alarming to the aristocracy, and they saw in the Nazis a defence against that. And there's also a geopolitical element where this family was still um, personally outraged at what happened to their Russian cousins, right? And it was their Russian cousins by the Bolsheviks and in the, in the revolution 20 years earlier in Russia. And so there was an element where, oh, yeah, this Hitler guy will, will defeat those commies for us. Right. That's actually what the thinking was. Um, so that is that the family was part of this general, uh, you know, element in the UK that was that had that outlook. Um, it wasn't just in the UK. It existed here as well. Right. We had a big establishment in Australia in the 30s that backed actual fascist paramilitary groups here like the new guard against threats that they defined as coming from the Labor Party and people like Jack Lang. Mm -hmm. Right. So these were, um, uh, this was a common phenomenon around the Western world. It happened in the United States even. People who, who are enemies of um, uh, Roosevelt backed this type of thing. So this was a common phenomenon, but the, at the top of it was this aristocratic set, at the top of which was the British crown. And so King Edward VIII had you know, personal interactions. There was a lot of interaction there with Hitler himself. No, exactly, because uh, Hitler was someone that, you know, in, in 1933, they say, oh, we didn't know what Hitler was going to be. Well, um, they knew that side, what I've just gone through. They knew that mm. side of it. Edward VIII loved him, right? Absolutely loved him. He was a total Hitler devotee. And in 19, after 1936, when he was forced to abdicate, he and Wallace Simpson, they you can see them posing with Hitler. Yeah. Um, but Simpson, by the way, um, back in the early 30s, was, known to be, was thought to be having an affair with Hitler's ambassador to um, uh, London, right, von Ribbentrop. Um, so she was particularly uh, close to it, but Edward VIII was. And later on, even when they farmed him out to be the governor of Barbados, or I think it was Barbados in the, in the um, Caribbean, even during World War II, he kept advocating for Britain to break off the alliance with the United States and forge an alliance with Germany against the United States. Right? That's how, like, he, was, he wasn't just casually impressed with Hitler. He was really, really pro-Hitler. But anyway, that's known. That part's known. And, mm. But if you, if you know, his, anyone who knows history knows that. The general public don't know that very well, but anyone who knows history knows that. What's less known is about Elizabeth's own father. Because George VI replaced Edward VIII. Um, he's the guy in the King's Speech, right? The starter of the poor. You know, that, that movie was about really repatriating his um, reputation. Because the reality was, 
he was just as much part of this faction in the UK as his brother. And there's, there's all kinds of um, uh, signs of that. Um, for instance, he didn't like Churchill. Now, Churchill wasn't any great shakes. Churchill, though, was in the late 30s, there was a split in this establishment because smarter people like Churchill realised, hang on, here's Roosevelt in a strengthening the United States. He's a very adamant anti-fascist. He and Hitler are on a collision course. And right now, under this monarch, we are on, we're going to be on the losing side because if we are on a side against America with its powerful economy, etc., mm. this is a mistake. So people like Churchill pushed for um, Britain effectively to change sides, right? Well, they did that, the Crown didn't, and Edward the, um, George VI, Elizabeth's father, he kept allying with the faction that became known as the appeasers, right? People like Neville Chamberlain. Problem was they weren't appeasers, it's the wrong term. They mm. talk about, oh, you can't appease your enemy. No, they didn't appease them, they were pro-Hitler. Yeah, they right? supported them. So when Neville Chamberlain came back from um, his famous Munich conference with Hitler with his little piece of paper, Peace in Our Time, George VI broke protocol. He, shouldn't have, he wasn't supposed to have done this mm. because it, the king's not supposed to be seen to be involved in politics. He broke protocol, invited Neville Chamberlain onto the, pal the balcony of Buckingham Palace to um, give a toast to him in front of the, the masses, you know, just to fate him for what he'd done, mm -hmm. right? Which, of course, turned out to be a total disaster and a total uh, screw-up because Hitler just ignored it and went and invaded Czechoslovakia and Poland anyway. When, if, if George VI had have had his choice, he would have picked... Um, Lord Halifax and a Pisa as the new Prime Minister instead of Churchill and there's a whole bunch of other things that mm. um, well this did. was this was covered up wasn't it because um, Churchill after the war I think it was sent MI6 agents to uh, weed out they were called the weeders where they actually destroyed all the evidence of letters between the royal family and Hitler and so forth well they say it was Churchill Churchill in history is given credit for it except um, there was a famous Australian case, Elisa, where an MI6 spy named Peter Wright wrote a book. And in writing a book, um, actually Malcolm Turnbull made a name for himself defending him in court because it was, he breached the Official Secrets Act. And in his book, he revealed that it wasn't Churchill who gave the order. It was George VI and Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth's mother, who ordered their cousin, Sir Anthony Blunt, later mm. exposed the Russian agent, mm. but he was in MI6 and he went, their cousin went to... Germany for them to retrieve this correspondence from their German pro-Nazi cousins so this wouldn't come to light, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, there is a huge connection between yeah. this royal family and the Nazis. Well, we'll stop there, but we're going to keep talking about this after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're talking about Nazis and pedophiles, our beloved royal family. Um, so I want to come to more of the modern um, period of the Nazi policies of the royal family. And just to get into that, because a lot of it does involve Prince Philip, the consort to the Queen. So it wasn't just her father and other family members that were uh, into Nazism. Prince Philip himself also was. And in fact, he had his three sisters all married off to top Nazi party and SS officials. And he went to a Nazi school and, yeah, it's from this Nazi, had this Nazi upbringing in Germany. And when Elizabeth's dad, George VI, wanted to marry Elizabeth off, that's the person that she picked to do it. Yeah. Right, through his uncle, Lord Mountbatten, they arranged it all. 
So it's important background for what Philip ended up doing for the rest of his life. Yeah, so his role in the environmental movement is, and of course let's talk about the origins of the environmental movement and how that came out of um, Hitler's movement really. Well, because there's, a, there's, there's so many different aspects of current royal policy which are just the repackaging of Nazism and, and the environmentalism is one because most people today who, who think they're greenies, they probably have no idea about this, mm. but the only reason there is an environmental movement is because Hit, Philip in the late 50s and early 60s and a bunch of other European aristocrats, including Prince Bernhard himself, a card-carrying member of the Nazi party, they decided to repackage Nazi eugenics, the, the race science that said there's a superior race and there's an inferior race. They repackaged Nazi eugenics into environmentalism, and that's in the world of words of Sir Julian Huxley, and the co-founder with Philip and Bernhard of the World Wildlife Fund. And that was to make it more palatable, but it had the same aims to you know streamline and reduce population to something mass that population was, reduction. Mm. In other words, it was a genocide agenda, just like Hitler's, but you know in a, in, the, in the in the name of you know saving the planet. Um, then you got another aspect that I should mention because think about think about just very recently here's. The, the, the Ukraine situation, right? And last year, Prince Charles came out and he compared Putin to Hitler because of the, the Crimea, right? He compared Putin, uh, what a cheek, because when Hitler did what he did, mm. Charles's family was supporting him. But in the meantime, it was the Anglo-Americans who actually backed a Nazi uprising in Ukraine, an actually Nazi uprising. Here you've got neo-Nazis on the street, doing the virtual Sieg Heils, carrying their own form of a swastika sticker on their shoulder. They're the sons and grandsons mm. of the people in the 1940s who supported this Nazi named Stepan Bandera, who worked with uh, Hitler's forces when they crossed Ukraine into Russia to mass kill Poles and communists and Jews and all that kind of stuff, right? All those type of people. Um, these are actual Nazis that our side backed, but the British and the American neocons actually backed them. And this is a policy that the you know they're doing on behalf of the Anglo-American Empire that this royal family sits still sits at the top of to this day. And here's Charles comes out and calling comparing Putin to Hitler when it's their side that actually used the Hitler tactics in toppling a government there. Um, and then there's another example that is really even more recent, Elisa, which is what's happened in Greece, mm -hmm. right? And you know, I was thinking of this in the first segment because you referred to the fact that part of the reason of the royals backing Hitler was that there was an uprising because of the economic conditions and they sought the idea of a dictatorship to put that down. Yep. Um, and Lyndon LaRouche, the head of our international organisation, has often said that during a time of crisis it's lawful that governments are going to step up to the plate and put the people first and act on behalf of the general welfare, otherwise their nation will cease to exist. Yeah, and they, might, is, they might get hanged from you know, lampposts. Well, right? exactly. There's a, there's a reality principle here. And this is the tendency that you're seeing um, big time in Greece at the moment. Well, and the Greek people, they emphatically voted one way, and in response to that vote, they got this incredibly mean-spirited fascist reaction from Germany and people are trying to say well why is Germany all of a sudden making these much more onerous demands and it turns out if there's a if you look at the timeline mm. of the lead-up to this even the IMF was starting to say look Greece can't pay its debts debt forgiveness has to be on the table they'll say that behind the scenes even the Germans were actually beginning to acknowledge that and then all of a sudden last month the Queen visited Germany. She had a 23rd private, of June. 23rd of June. She had a private meeting with Merkel. And at the end of that meeting, 
Merkel and her finance minister, that day they started standing much harder mm. on Greece, right, which set the scene for everything that's happened ever since. And if the Queen did have a role in that, right, in actually, you know, on behalf of the City of London, who are the big power brokers in the EU behind the scenes, because they are the financial power of the EU, if the Queen had a role that you have to question, is there a personal element here? Because Prince Philip's family used to be the royal family mm. of Greece. Mm. Right, they just like they would be, they would hate everything about Greece being democratic because that used to be their fiefdom, you know. Yep. Um, and but it, it's just all these different facets of the royal power today, yep. which is a rebirth of Nazism. And the economic impact of Greece is a Nazi crackdown on the people and the slashing of pensions, the austerity, etc. But we'll stop there, and after the break, we're going to talk about the pedophilia aspect of this. Welcome back to the CEC Report and our special report on Nazis and pedophiles, our beloved royal family. Now, um, the erupting pedophile scandal in the United Kingdom, this was covered last Sunday by 60 Minutes, which did a very good first pass on this scandal, which was titled Spies, Lords and Predators. And as described by the journalist Ross Coulthard, who did the show, uh, this is the biggest political scandal Britain has ever faced. Now, the program itself reported on uh, child abuse survivors and interviewed these survivors who actually identified top-ranking members of the British establishment whose pedophilia has been covered up for decades. Uh, and this involves some of the people they named, former Home Secretary under Thatcher, Sir Leon Britton, former MP Cyril Smith, former Deputy Head of MI6, Sir Peter Heyman, and sitting peer, Lord Greville Janner. Now, they also exposed a pedophile network called PIE, P-I-E, the Pedophile Information Exchange. And members of this group openly campaigned in the 1970s to lower the age of consent to as low as four. Now, they come back a bit on that now, but I mean, this is horrific stuff. And they interviewed a member of PIE uh, who demonstrated the absolutely sick way that they think. But Robbie, who were the people they didn't mention in the 60 Minutes report? Well, this is key because this, I don't know why 60 Minutes didn't mention them, but 60 Minutes co-produced its program with a news service in the UK called XRO News. And on the day before the 60 Minutes show, XRO News did an article based on the same main source 60 Minutes used, a, a guy, a survivor named Richard Kerr. And Richard Kerr did name some pretty explosive mm. names beyond those in the show. And so when I say I don't know why 60 Minutes didn't, in terms of pro its production, I don't know why. Our I, beloved I, royal family? I know, exactly. There is a reason why. <laughs> this, these names go to our beloved royal family. So what they, what they were talking about is the, the particular facet of the case that 60 Minutes opened with is about the Kinkora Boys' Home in uh, East Belfast. And this was like a, you know, for orphans and, and um, foster kids. From this, it was it was run by a network of pedophiles, and it, these kids were trafficked around the UK to be abused, right? Mm. But the people that Richard Kerr named to be involved in the pedophilia, or at least the cover-up, who actually were associated with this Cora Boys Home, include the Queen's cousin, Lord Louis Mountbatten, Prince Philip's uncle, and Prince Charles' great uncle, Sir Anthony Blunt. Another queen, another cousin of the queen, who was the guy I mentioned in the mm. earlier segment they sent to Germany to the, the MI6 agent. And the boss 
of MI6. So not just the deputy head, but the boss of MI6 himself, Sir Morris Oldfield. Now, it's the, the, it's the royal connections they're trying to cover up, but they're also trying to cover up is that this particular boys' home indicates a crossover between pedophile networks and a dirty ops um, mm. practice by British intelligence in Northern Ireland to use to run murder gangs throughout Northern Ireland to orchestrate terrorism that would be blamed on the um, IRA. Everything was blamed on the IRA, right? But a lot of this was orchestrated so that to justify the, the continuing British crackdown and control of Northern Ireland, right? And that's why these top-ranking people were involved in it. So what happens is this is not just a cover-up of incidents of pedophilia. This is a cover-up, Elisa, of how the entire British system works. Yep. You have the Crown at the top, and anything involving the Crown, people that are conditioned not to look at, right? Oh, no, don't, don't go there. The cops are told anything involving the royals, you know, that's not for you to investigate. And young first-year first constables or whatever, when they're given that instruction, they thought, well, someone else, I, I, people know things I don't, so, you know, okay. Mm, must be we, okay. We all swore an oath to the Queen, uh, etc. Now, uh, and through that structure, under the Crown, you have MI5 and MI6 that operate under the, what's called the, 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 um, the, the royal prerogative, right? That's the, it's, the, it's actually the Queen's power that they get, that they utilise through the Home Office and the Foreign Office and the Prime Minister's Office, and they can do all kinds of things which, for which they are not accountable in any kind of democratic way, right? And that includes the historic established fact of orchestrating terrorism then, and what we would charge Elisa now is the same structures are using the same system now because mm. Because terrorism has re reared its ugly head again, and we know we've got case after case involved that this Islamist terrorism connects into MI5 and MI6, and there's a real orchestration element because the people who benefit are these same structures who get to do, get more powers for themselves, mm. right? The, the secret security services here, etc. And ASIO in Australia, remember, is a branch of MI5, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a child abuse inquiry going on into all of this in Britain, but they have, the British Home Secretary, um, Theresa May, has refused to include Kinkora in that. And you can read more about it in our media release from the 24th of June on the tour of the author, Anne Cadwallader, who documented this. But um, Frank Kitson, who specialised in these methods of irregular warfare for the British men, um, Empire, had a unit within the Kinkora home. Yeah, the, what, the, exactly. One of these murder gangs operated out of this Kinkora home. So this hit, and that's that's the thing. Theresa May has said, "Yes, we're going to. This is terrible. This is child abuse. We're going to have an inquiry. We're going to get to the bottom of it." And she's brought in a judge from New Zealand to do it, right? Um, where and, and this judge says, "Oh, I'm not part of the establishment. There's no establishment in New Zealand, which is a joke. Anyone who knows New Zealand knows it's more British than Britain yeah. in many respects." She's brought in this judge from New Zealand to do it, but they have insisted that, oh, no, no, this won't involve the Concora Boys Home. That is mm. the core, mm. that is the heart of yeah. the scandal, that Boys Home. They say, oh, there's an inquiry already going on in Northern Ireland. The inquiry in Northern Ireland does not have the authority to call the security services to testify. Mm. Only something set up in Westminster, Kent, so it's the ongoing cover-up. I'll just say one other thing. Um, this same Lord Mountbatten, it's not a coincidence he's involved in this because one of the, the, one of the biggest known pedophile scandals in the UK in recent times is this monster, Jimmy Savile, an absolute monster whose crimes came out after he died. It was Mountbatten who welcomed him into the royal family mm -hmm. through which um, Savile went on to become an intimate friend of Prince Charles, yep. right? The, the two were the closest friends imaginable. This is not a coincidence. And he was one of the worst offenders, Savile. 
Um, so you can read more about that in our alert service, but also call in for a copy of our latest New Citizen and for multiple copies and get involved in our campaign. We need to create a cultural and economic renaissance urgently. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week. Thank you.